Uh, this is my pastor, Pastor Juan Marrero. Um, he's the pastor at Christ Center Church, the church I attend, and the executive director of Crossroads Community Center, plus a, a million other things. Um, and he's just been a presence down here in the, in the Badlands, the Fairhill section of Philadelphia. And um, so, yeah, I want to know just how you, basically, what was your introduction to the streets? Well, I mean, it's sad to say, but, you know, it, it, it was through, you know what I mean, a lot of the guys I went to church with. Mm. You, know, uh, you know, I was at 13th in Allegheny, walked down uh, Germantown, you know, over Indiana to go to Second Mennonite Church uh, for Sunday school and everything, man. And it was it, it was brothers I went to church with that we back, got baptized together, mm. you know, uh, took communion. You know, when you hit your, your, your teenage years and, and the ones that are older than you, you know, they were already out there. Right. And, um, you know, they hustling, you know, selling weed, selling powder. And so, you know, you made your way back down there and, 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 and would hang out, you know, with them. And that was sort of your, your, your introduction, you know, to the streets. And, uh, you know, sort of like a family, they protected you, they, they watched you. And, um, you know, you, you would talk to them, you know, you know, how do we get here? And it's, it, it's sort of like, you know, if you don't get involved in what's going on in the community, there's the potential for others who are outside, you know what I'm saying, your particular neighborhood, yeah. to come and sort of take control or dominate right. it. And so a lot of the young brothers rose up in the context so that they would have a say in what was going on in their neighborhood. Hmm. It's strange as it sounds. So a lot of them originally was dudes, man, I went to church with, man. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, so what was, because I know pretty much most of your family, was there any, especially from, like, your mom, mm -hmm. during those early times, I'm yeah. interested to know, did she have any sort of, like, during the beginning, th those beginning times you've been in the streets, sort of any inkling, like, something different? Yeah, yeah, no, she did. And, um, you know, uh, you know, she'd, she'd approach you and, you know, say, you know, they talking about you selling drugs. Is that true? And, man, listen, you're going to lie. Right. Now, you know, you could be out there doing whatever you're doing. I'm right. not telling my mom that. Yeah. She could see me out there. I'm not owning up to that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you would see the, the the sadness, you know, in her face, you know, because she didn't want you out there. Mm -hmm. You know, we have, uh, like many families, like I said, we had that that gospel, uh, 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 that Jesus Christ uh, strand you know, in my family, but we also had, you know, the criminal element, the drug element, and, um, you know, she didn't want that for me, you know, but but I was in it, and it was a snowball effect, man, yeah. you know. So what was sort of, we all know what come with that, just yeah. that, that life, what was sort of your transition to getting out of it? Yeah, listen, I, 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 I firmly, and we talked about this, I firmly believe I had a relationship with Jesus Christ at a young age, um, and I had the opportunity to preach at my home church, Second Mennonite Church. You know, I was like eight or nine years old. They putting a the crate up, you know, for me to stand, you know, behind the pulpit and preach on youth Sundays. Um, we had a, a family uh, relative, uh, my first cousin's grandmother, Mother Button, and she was a mother in the Church of God in Christ, man, and she would bring me in to preach. Mm. I'm talking about as a kid, yeah. you know. So I had that relationship, you know, I had that call, and even while I was doing wrong, you know, getting high, selling drugs, man, I always felt that tug, you know, that this ain't for you. Right. This is not your destiny. This is not going to be, you know, where you end up at permanently. Mm -hmm. 
And so, you know, I mean, long series series of events, homies going to jail, you know, homies getting killed, you know, rock bottom, uh, you know. But, uh, you know, when it came time for, for my son to be born, man, I uh, – I had begun to, uh, to, to, to to climb out of it. Crossroads had given me an opportunity to work with some of the youth over the summer. And um, that began to be the transition. Right. Going home, back to church, getting so, plugged in. So how was that, too? That Because you, you end up at Crossroads and get into that youth, mm-hmm. uh, youth leader position. Mm-hmm. But you still fresh out the streets. What, was there probably like sort of a moment where those two paths was like, Almost crossing, you still trying to do right, but you're still struggling with. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I would, I would, uh, I would help Miss Darlene with the game of story hour. I would do recreation with the kids, mm-hmm. and you know, then summer would end. Right. You know, and, and, and you, yeah. you headed back to the corner to try to, you know, flip a pack or something. Mm-hmm. But you see some of them kids yeah. who you were dealing with at the center, who you dealt with on the street. And, you know, they had this thing at Crossroads, you know, you missed a wine. Hey, Mr. Wine, and that conviction would set in mm-hmm. because you didn't want them to see you out there. Right. And so, you know, you begin to make adjustments. Like, let me go get a job. Let me do something. So, yeah, they, they were crossing paths, mm-hmm. but a lot of that came with a lot of conviction, man. Mm-hmm. And, and even all the more realizing this ain't for me. Right. So then how did the process of you moving up to executive director happen? Yeah, well, uh, they they... Crossroads gave me the position as youth worker, mm-hmm. which was like a youth pastor, youth minister, and uh, ran with that for like like ten years. Mm-hmm. Ten years uh, uh, straight, had an associate pastor position at at my church, and they were lacking leadership, and um, there was some difficulty there. There was some old school people, uh, you know, who weren't necessarily in favor. They knew some of my background. Right, right. And, man, I'm in the board meetings till 12 o'clock at night, and they debating and arguing this. And uh, wasn't nobody knocking on the door for the position, and mm-hmm. it just got to the point where, you know, they said, go ahead, you know, go ahead and let's run with this. Yeah, and you could, I can say personally, just seeing you in that joint, how that fits you like a, like a glove. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see nobody else, just you being down here. We're going to talk about a little bit that indigenary mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. joint that you coined. How you can just see how how impactful that is and how necessary that is. I want to talk about your because you in a unique world. I don't think a lot of people have seen being a Puerto Rican mm-hmm. and in the Badlands, but specifically in a predominantly black part of Badlands, Thirteenth and Allegheny, mm-hmm. and then growing up in a lot of the black churches. <laughs> Executive director of a community center in a predominantly Puerto Rican neighborhood, but you also partner with a lot of uh, white and Caucasian churches. So just explain that whole dynamic, how that worked. Yeah. Um, oh man, how, how far to go back? Um, I mean, I'm of mixed ancestry. Uh, of course, Puerto Ricans are. Yeah. But even that aside, uh, my grandmother was African American with a Native American strain. So, you know, we up there at 13th and Allegheny where the brothers are mostly at, you know, Germantown was like, you know, the natural border where, you know, the Puerto Ricans and African-Americans, you know, the cutoff point was. And so, yeah, man, I went to Mary McLeod Bethune School, (laughs) you know, um, you know, my, you know, my first cousin, Abdul Johnson, you know, his father was Mm -hmm. African-American. So, and then I'm the light bright, the real light bright. My sister, you know, a little darker than me. And we used to go to school and you say, how come she black and you white? (laughs) You know, but 
I mean, it was love. You're right. growing up in this context, man, and and you know, as time went on, I mean, some of the light skinned brothers got teased. Mm -hmm. It was just that kind of, yeah. you know, that kind of situation going to school. If you was too dark, you got teased. Yeah. If you was too light, you got teased and stuff. You know, so. So yeah, man, that that that's part of my upbringing. I was always interested, you know, in 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 what what made me up uh, ethnically and culturally. Of course, my grandmother married a Puerto Rican guy, Juan Marrero, and uh, you know, uh, my father, my mother, and that's that's how I'm here. So yeah, I've always embraced these mm -hmm. roots. My Spanish was never the best, right. and so in my day, you know, going to Edison High School with a lot of Puerto Ricans, you know, they didn't even understand that second generation thing a lot yeah. of them their father and mothers just came from the island mm -hmm. and so they were first generation yeah. well even on my puerto rican side my mother was born here my father was born here their grandparents came from the island you know at a young age so yeah man trying to find yourself yeah. and maneuver through that man but i always loved history i always embraced culture yeah and, you know, the African-American community loved me. Yeah. And uh, so I, I had those roots and then, you know, tied into my, my, my Puerto Rican roots yeah. as well. But you can see, like you mentioned, you being sort of second generation mm -hmm. here and just the people that you sort of uh, found yourself around, specifically African-Americans yeah. during that time, mm -hmm. how that sort of primes you for the ministry you do. Because you minister to a lot of African-American, right. Right. you know, minister to yeah. You know, it, all different types mm -hmm. of people, but a lot yeah. of times, a lot of churches you preach at and stuff, yeah. and your own church is predominantly African-American, <laughs> yeah. which is crazy. Um, yeah. So then how how does that fit with you, or I guess give me the history of how you ended up with a lot of our white brothers and sisters in their churches? Yeah, I mean, listen, um, we know here at Christ in the Church, we got a pugilistic theology, mm -hmm. we'll give you something practically. Yeah, I'm going to hear more about that later on, yeah, too. To yeah, to make it through the pitfalls of life. Uh, we see the glorified Jesus, one image, but many dimensions. But I went to Second Mennonite Church, man. Mm -hmm. uh, Reverend Carlton Menace was the first African-American pastor in, 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 in the Eastern District Conference of the Mennonite Church. And... So, I mean, we went, we would go to trips, we'd go to Camp Meadowland, uh, we would visit these different churches, these different white churches up country. Mm -hmm. And so those relationships still develop. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you smacking them up, fighting with them, <laughs> playing ball, you know, and different things like that. <laughs> but yeah. a lot of them became youth pastors, they became leaders. And as they watched your testimony and your growth, these guys became the leaders of so many of these churches. Mm -hmm. And as I walked into my calling, these relationships were there. And um, I think there's something to say about remaining in, you know, a, a, a denominational structure or in, in, in a theological structure and a baptism where you were born and raised growing up in that and remaining in that. It became fruitful for me. Mm. And, and so, man, they support what we do here. They support what we do. At, uh, at, at Crossroads Community Center, and it's real relationships. And so it's not like, you know, um, you, you just got your hand out begging. Right. You know, they really partner with you, mm -hmm. and then you're able to utilize your gift. A lot of those churches are struggling, and they need pulpit supply. They right. need people to come to preach for them. So I'm able to utilize my gifts to help them out, right. you know, while at the same time they're blessing us and what we've been called to do here. So, man, those, yeah. those relationships... You know, are very interesting how God sort of, yeah. you know, unfolded it. And I think through conversations we have, I think that perspective sort of allows you, because you probably want to, in a lot of different uh, subjects, whether it be politics, religion, whatever, you 
give me my most balanced sort of view of things. And I think, so. would you say that sort of helps you out with that, just having that, but how you, a lot of different subjects, you really balance is not too far yeah, to yeah. one I end. Mean, you gotta be, you gotta be well-rounded. Um, I think, I think, you know, coming from a Christ-centered approach to scripture, yeah, I'm gonna challenge them right. on racism. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna challenge them on marginalization and oppression. But also, you said you're my brother. Yeah. You said you're my sister. Yeah. You know, so that means you know what what resources are in the kingdom are ours together. We share them. You mm-hmm. know, so let's see how you can break bread with your brother right. for what we're doing down here in the Fairhill community, mm-hmm. and we've been successful at it. Yeah. So, what are because we know we in. And every and, and church and business is is a real difficult time now because the pandemic and everything and how things have changed drastically. I want to know what are in ministry, what are some difficulties you have to over you had to overcome pre-pandemic and during the pandemic? Because I know it's a sort of it's a separate set of issues during pandemic right. with some things before that you would say you had to overcome and then thinking about now. Yeah, you talk about particularly in, in yeah in ministry. ministry. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, working with your own, you know, you love it. Uh, Like you said, um, probably going there with that. But I believe in indigenous leadership. It's nothing wrong with people coming from the outside to partner. Mm -hmm. But if if churches, if ministries aren't training up local leaders, you know, you're doing something wrong. But, you know, with dealing with your own, there's setbacks that happens. There's difficulties. Um, You know, people get pulled back into addiction. People get you know, pulled back into the prison system, although we have a lot of successful stories yeah. as well of people, you know, who have changed their life. They've been transformed and have uh, never went back. But, you know, th- those are just difficulties, man. A lot of times, man, I just had, you know, a, a, a home going service today, you know, for a young brother, man. So, so the violence and the different things you see, you know, that existed pre-pandemic. Right. And, and you deal with those, those difficulties. Um, after the pandemic, I mean, we're in the business of people. Yeah. And when people aren't huddling, when people aren't gathering, man, it's difficult, man, because you want to love folks. You want to be with people. You want that fellowship to take place. And uh, a lot of fear and, and trepidation because of the pandemic has caused a lot of people uh, to fall off. We know a lot of church attendance is down yeah. all across the board and different things like that. And so, man, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. And it's 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 wanting people to value uh, fellowshipping and, and wanting them to come back yeah. safely but still come back. Right, right. So, yeah, man, it's, it's, been some, it's been some difficulties. You mentioned and you, uh, we alluded to it, just the, uh, you're the first person I ever heard talk about it, but just the idea of the indigenary. Right. Can you explain that for people who might not got to understand yeah, yeah, so a lot of times uh, we understand a missionary. A missionary is somebody raised up from God sort of as a pioneer, maybe as a church planner. You know, we know, you know, they, they go across the seas to Africa, mm-hmm. to Asia. But a lot of times we miss the fact the inner cities were mission locations right. where all different church denominations would send missionaries, particularly in places like uh, the Badlands of North Philadelphia, Kensington, uh, a lot of Latino neighborhoods, you know, not as much in an all African-American community, but because this is more mixed. Right. You know, uh, Pastor Ron will tell you, you know, as well, when he was at Bethel Temple, we had a large, you know, influx mm. of white missionaries who came in. And, man, a lot of times when you were younger and, you know, that attention they gave you as far as, you know, helping you with homework, 
um, you know, trying to point you the direction of Jesus Christ, it was okay. But as you begin to grow and, and hit your teenage years, you know, you wanted some people that look like you yeah. who have avoided the pitfalls mm -hmm. of the system and of the streets where I can see somebody looks like me, somebody who looks like you, that can help guide me yeah. in Christ through this life right here. Because sometimes the missionary mindset made you feel like the only way out is to is to escape this, yeah. is to get out of these streets, to, yeah. get, to get out of the city. You know, and so the Lord really pressed it on my heart, man, that we need indigenaries, local leaders raised up who have walked with Christ, you know, that can participate in the transformation of other people's lives. And so I'm big on that, man. I'm yeah. big on that. I think something you said as far as once you got into like your teenage years, you sort of wanted somebody else who you could relate to. Yeah. And I think that for people in our neighborhoods to understand, it seemed like it's either we we a little limited. It's either the streets, mm -hmm. sports, or music right. that we can get involved with to be successful, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. not even just to be successful, but to have some type of influence. Right. And I think sometimes that's what we're looking for. But what you just said shows that no, it's somebody out there that mm -hmm. needs somebody that look like you mm -hmm. in different spaces than just the streets, music, right. or sports. So just for us in this in our communities to open up our minds to. Yeah. Let's figure out what I'm really called to do. Right. Walking that because of somebody who needs to see somebody who look like me yeah. in that space, yeah, yeah. you know, or something you you know what I mean you have to do while you're on your track in music yeah. or yeah. in sports. Yep. You know, I mean, you know, there's barbers out here. You mm -hmm. know, a lot of dudes you know interested in cutting hair. I Man, you imagine a, you know a sharp Christian brother, yeah. God, and you know some of that mentor mentee, you know relationship that mm -hmm. understudy where in whatever profession it is yeah. and that's how you know people of color you know we succeeded and we functioned years right, ago right you know you had those understudies whether it was the plumber yeah. the electrician the mechanic who snatched a young boy you know I me mean, under his wing yeah. or a young sister and, and helped them develop mm -hmm. so uh <laughs> i'm thinking about you actually helped me you you made me realize this Sort of my traditional church <laughs> views. Are we going there? Yeah, you know, I didn't. I always thought that me being you know young, I had a sort of modern, you know, church thought. And some things I do, mm -hmm. but I think me and you got that in common. Sort of our our traditional view, just growing up in church. Yeah. A lot of some people coming to church later on and just haven't been, I guess, quote unquote, churched. What are some things that you feel like the church has gotten away from? that we sort of, we, I guess for lack of better words, need to get back to some things we've let go that we, you know, we need to sort of hold, hold on to. Yeah, man. And I think I mentioned this to you the other day, man, and it's real simplistic. I mean, one of the highlights of, of my life coming up was when the church did these carrying dinners, mm. these, these, you know, these meals after service. First of all, sometimes it wasn't no food in the refrigerator. Yeah. And no. we can keep it real. Yeah. You know, sometimes you was hungry. Sometimes, you know, after church, man, you was going home to nothing at times, mm -hmm. you know, being as though some of the struggles that we, you know, we had growing up and depending on what time of the month it was when them food stamps ran up, out and everything. But something about when, when you know, oh, man, from the fried chicken, the collard greens, the hokum gondolas, you know, when people would come and, and bring that food together, that rich fellowship of us sitting and eating together yeah. 
and spending time together. I think there's something there, man. Jesus was always breaking bread, mm-hmm. you know, all through the scripture, man. And we understand communion, you know, but he also ate with his disciples and there was fellowship and there was teaching, mm-hmm. you know, that took place informal and formal sometimes around it. And I think that's something as the body of Christ, man, if, if we learn to, to, to physically eat together and spiritually eat uh you know pass around here man with you know our bible studies and stuff man it's it's a way we we, we break spiritual bread right. and 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 we're all participating in that man yeah. that's that that's powerful as well where people can ask questions and you know and and we can fellowship around the the spiritual word as, as well so yeah. man something about that old school approach either physically breaking right. bread or spiritually Breaking bread one with another, man, is powerful. Yeah. I think we got away from some of that. Right. I'm laughing because you mentioned Pastor Ron, mm-hmm. and we know he's, you know, he, we more traditional, and he, he's, he's. I'm trying to, we trying to figure out something new to do. Right, right, it's right, right Sometimes right. more his perspective. Right, right. But I think y'all two working together is going to be a blueprint mm-hmm. for years to come, people seeing that you can have two brothers right. work together. Right. How is that? How do y'all make that work? That dynamic between two dudes who are strong. Ain't ain't no, you know, we got the soft spoken one. It's both of y'all. Y'all got opinions. Y'all got a strong mindset. How do y'all make that work together for 10 years? Yeah, yeah. Actually longer than that. Yeah. Well, we, we've had church council meetings sparring <laughs> in the gym. So literally. Right. Uh, first of all, I said you got to be called to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you ain't called to it, it's not going to work. Yeah. I mean, you got to know beyond a shadow of a doubt your call to work with another individual. You know, it's wonderful to have an African-American brother, you know, and a Puerto Rican brother working together in a neighborhood that, that's mixed, you know, along the same line. So I, I would say calling uh, definitely, definitely comes first. And then, man, you know, being able to work out and hash out, you know, Whatever disagreements are there, they will be disagreements. I think a lot of times, you know, people are too fragile in the church. Um, you don't have to agree on everything. Yeah. But just because you have slight disagreements don't mean you take your ball or take your marbles and go home. Mm. That's very childish. And there's a lot of immaturity in the body of Christ. So if you can agree on the essentials, mm-hmm. you know, of the faith and, and the variables that are important to you. We want to see black and brown come up mm-hmm. and poor white brothers and sisters, right. you know, those who were come. We want to see lives transformed. And so, man, if you can agree on those things, you can you can work together. And, man, with, with some of the traditional church, you have to, you know, what a dude like Ron, bring out, you know, what was the power of some of those yeah. slogans or cliches. Mm-hmm. You can't just throw nothing out there for the sake of throwing it out yeah, there. No. That's the caricature of the black and brown church. That's the aspect of stuff that's mocked, the, the circus, and, mm. you know, yeah, we know how to dance and we know how to shout, but we ain't got nothing practical to get nobody through. But, you know, if 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 you have truth and you are being transformed, well, you may have something to shout about. You mm. may have something to talk about. And so just bringing out some of those traditional things in their true meanings and making them applicable today. And then going with the new illumination that the Spirit has given us, man, right. it's a powerful thing. Yeah, yeah. It's a powerful thing. So what is your your plans, I guess, for the future, for 
Specifically, I know a lot what you do at Crossroads. Yeah. What's some of the things that you, you know, you desire to see just yeah. in the future for that and just for this neighborhood that you minister to? Yeah, man, I, ongoing transformation, mm-hmm. man, ongoing transformation. We just bought another building at Crossroads. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be rehab, rehabbing that. Uh, same thing here at the church, man. Uh, you know, we have a call. It's a specialist ministry. You know, it's a lot to returning citizens and their family, but also, you know, trying to partner with others that can come along in that, you know, in that vision, you know, to, uh, to rescue, empower, and transform. That's ultimately what we're called to do. And, uh, man, we, we want to see, we want to see it happen. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to see lives change. And so we want to keep pushing forward with that. And I guess before we roll out, uh, my last question would be, what do you want your legacy to be? You know, because I, I, we know for sure you, you've left already an imprint on, on this neighborhood and far beyond what you know. Yeah. What do you think you want your legacy to be to, for, for people to remember you? Oh, man, he fought the good fight. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, um, I mean, we, we're pugilistic for a reason, man. Um, you know, you know, watching my sons, you know, in their amateur careers, you know, they, they look in the term pro, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that fight, man, and I think sometimes Christianity, you know, has removed that warrior element. Um, Stuff ain't going to stop. We talked about that in Bible study Mm -hmm. yesterday. The attack's still going to come. There's always going to be spiritual warfare. You know, man, listen, when it's all said and done, Mm -hmm. if y'all can say, you know, man, he fought the good fight. You know, he finished his race, man. I want to hear, well done, that good and faithful servant, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I appreciate you sitting down for the inaugural (laughs) episode of the Good Report podcast. Um, So I'm going to put information uh, in the description of this for people to be able to donate to Crossroads Community Center and the things that's going on. It's good ground. It's a lot of uh, work being done and also links, you know, to the website and and stuff like that for people to to just stay abreast and be connected to what's going on down here. Because, like I said, it's real good work uh, being done and lives are being changed and transform. See y'all.